All right, Rob, you did it to me again, man. Uh, you put me in a bind, but I, but I have fun uh, exploring a lot of this music and going back to listen to some older records, even in having to reach out to my uncle and, and borrow some old 45s, man, some things I wanted to hear, man. Um, I had a tough time with this one, but it was all worth the while and all very enjoyable. And um, I'm happy to be back uh, this week to talk a little bit about some music. So what's up? What's going on? Legends Sports and Music Podcast. It's your boy, James. What up, though? Coming straight out of Detroit. But hey, this week we're talking about George Benson and the greatness of George Benson. You know, the 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 literally legend of, you know, guitar playing, vocalist, songwriting, you name it. I mean, George Benson is, you know, the top echelons when it comes down to musical talent, especially the people who enjoy, I would say, the more technical side of music. I mean, George Benson is like the top of the top. He's he's Mount Rushmore. He's he's at the the pinnacle as far as performing, um, performances on the guitar, the way that he plays the guitar, his melodies, the way he put phrases together. I mean, it's just amazing. And that's outside of his vocal capability and the songwriting songwriting ability, which I know Rob is, you know, Big Holy Rob is going to touch base on that. But I wanted to take it back, man. And I wanted to take it back, you know, take it back because I wanted to talk just strictly about the music and particularly his guitar playing and i said what other better song to just talk about just the most purest form or purest performance of george benson than that of breezing now if you're familiar with breezing um you know you know it's not it's not george benson's original song right it was a song that was produced by bobby walmack with a guy uh named uh uh, Gabor Zabo and Gabor Zabo in his right is a legend of himself when it comes down to the jazz and especially acoustic guitar playing. Um, however, um, I can say that I enjoy um, George Benson's version a lot more. And I'll talk a little bit about that because the original version was, I think, recorded in like 71, 72. And then George Benson's version was recorded and performed, you know, or packaged along the album Breezing. But, you know, you got the title track, which is Breezing itself that we're going to talk about, which is an instrumental song. And I think that's some of the things I'm going to talk about, which makes George Benson great, um, is is really key in this in this song. So, number one um, key, I'm about to say key again. The song is in the key of of D major, right? And what makes George Benson so great is that um, when he plays the main licks of the song, he plays it in a relative minor, which is a B minor on this particular this particular track. And because in the original, the notes are really regimented. They're very precise on time. They're, they're correct. They're on time. They're everything they're, they're supposed to be right. They land really well with the original version from Gabor. I feel I feel that George Benson he had a little bit more flavor, a little bit more swing to it. Um, and by it being in the '70s, you could definitely hear some of the funk elements, some of the smoother jazz elements that just makes it more of an of a happy and a more uh, enjoyable listening song to individuals that's playing it. Now, here's the thing, right? Like I said, it's a cover, but Breezin is recognized for what George Benson did with it because it's a very happy and very full sounding song. Now to talk about his playing in general on this track, 
Um, he has this amazing ability with this phrasing to do these hammer ons or these flutters that you were hearing. Like those flutters are hammer on techniques that are very precise that he's doing on the neck of the guitar. And but it sounds like somebody is almost playing the keys on a piano. And he does it so precise and smooth to where the sound isn't. I should say it's, it's not um, attenuated correctly, which is basically meaning like it doesn't sound chaotic. It sounds very smooth. And the way that George Benson plays, you can feel that he's having fun with the song as he's going through the entire cover. And the reason why I say he's having fun because he's putting the swag into it. The song personally feels better. Musically, it's in the same scale. It's played in the same relative minor with as far as the pentatonic scale is on the guitar, but George Benson's version sounds so much better if you just put guitar versus guitar because it's that is I say is that much more emotion going to it, it's that much more feeling going to it, and it's ultimately that much more swag going into it. I mean, George Benson is one of those guitar players that, although he's considered, you know, great jazz guitar players, most jazz guitar players are pretty stiff. They're kind of stoic. And um, although they, they're gifted brilliantly in music, you know, they don't look the coolest while they're doing. One thing about George Benson, and you look at his performance, man, he's always smiling. He's always having a good time. He's playing like it doesn't take very much. And he always looks so cool while he's doing it. And that comes out in his music. It seems so unstressful to pull off the things that he does on the guitar and i think that's what make breezing feel so good it seems like it's so effortless that you pick that up you pick that feeling when you listen to the song it feels relaxing it feels engaging it feels full and then you couple that along with the type of instrument he played the he played you know um hollow uh, semi-hollow body hollow body guitars which had this very great warm sustaining sound from when you play the notes they are not the easiest guitars to play you know your stratocasters your les pauls your solid body guitars right um, when you play those they don't sustain and ring out so the difference is if you play a wrong note on the hollow body that thing get the ringing out like you played a bad piano key and it could just throw the whole mood off but he's so precise with his attack on the guitar and how he plays it. It sounds so good and cool. I mean, Breezing is one of those tracks that just make you feel like you need to be on the beach. You need to be chilling. You need to have some warm weather and you just need to kick back and relax. I mean, it's Breezing, <laughs> but it's a jazz track. It's considered a smooth jazz track. And I've always said this is the big difference from the original from the cover that George Benson did is that you can make the original more like a folk jazz type of deal, but Breezing is 100% smooth jazz and it's so cool about it. Now, I'm going to hit the song really quick and then I'm going to get up out of here. The song opens up with this very, uh, very airy uh, flute sound melodic run I will call it in the intro accompanied by some strings and then immediately right after the flute ends you got the main groove that comes in and and that is carrying a song that pocket right there is what you get you riding that wave and then as George Benson's coming in with some of the rhythm and he's laying it over the lead you know as you round about the first minute of the track you start hearing 
um, more orchestra elements, and you guys know I'm a, I'm a stickler for the orchestra elements. You start hitting that more classical feel on there, and it starts creating this layer of all these different sounds. You got the synth, you got the drums, you got the bass, you got the rhythm guitar, and you got George Benson on lead, and the song starts to open up, and his guitar actually starts to sing. Oh, and uh, one thing I can't leave out is the amazing uh, percussiveness underneath there with the congos and it might have a slight bongo in there but i think those are all congos in there and man it, it just layers up very nicely and so the thing is is like um man i keep kind of moving around positive my seat because i'm so excited the thing is is that it rides that entire wave of that song and it's just so perfectly layered so cool so mellow so even but yet broad it gives you what i what i think jazz music was created for is really to transcend what you're hearing and giving your body a full experience and that's what i think was so unique about jazz in particular is that a lot of instrumentals that focus on the instrumentation the syncopation the melodies the chord progressions and everything to tie everything together and um i mean breezing is just one of the coolest songs to ever be in be played i mean man it, it it's it's that it's that it's that deal for real and um i i'm super excited to hear everybody's thoughts about it um, i'm super excited to hear your thoughts uh mr rob silver and of course thank you again for the legend of sports music podcast for people like me who like to nerd out on music we get to uh have this platform to discuss music in an intimate setting so i thank you i appreciate you love you brother and um Man, I can go another I can go another 15, 20 minutes just on breeze and start really breaking it down. But I can't do that here. Gotta give everybody else a chance to get on here to talk. And uh love you all. Talk to you next time. Peace. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. And as you heard from the opening track and from the doctor of music theory. Dr. James Anderson out of Detroit, Michigan. I, I, mean, I tell him all the time. That man should be lecturing young people on music theory and the intricacies of instruments and, and the history of music, period. Um, James is a great brother, great brother and a very knowledgeable brother. And I had him lead off the voice notes because he talked about the magic of breezing i can't add much to what he said i can't add anything to what he said about the intricacies and the technical aspects of george benson's version of breezing and the original version of breezing the only thing i want to add is that Originally, there was vocals to this song that was wit written by the great Bobby Womack. And if anybody doesn't know that's listening about the greatness of Bobby Womack, and if you haven't listened to the episode that another great Detroit citizen uh, did with me, Cheyenne, uh, the Bobby Womack tribute podcast, you hear all about the greatness of him as a singer-songwriter, one of the greatest singer-songwriters of my lifetime despite the many transgressions in his life 
separate the music from the man, you'll see Bobby Womack was one of the greatest of all time. He wrote lyrics to the song Breathing that for some reason got lost in the sauce with the original version. And it wasn't until 2010 before Bobby Womack died that he tried to put together what he could recall that he wrote from that song when he re-recorded the song in 2002. Uh, George Benson's Breathing was always part of my childhood, especially when the song came out in 76 and through parts of 1977. When I first heard this song, I was seven, eight years old. I was finishing up the second grade and going into the third grade, the summer of 76, every day when I woke up in the morning, I'd hear that song on the radio. Whenever I was in my father's car, he would play the song on his 8-track of Breezing all the time. And while my father was driving, he'd be going, <laughs> Just an amazing song. An amazing song from amazing artists. Now, let me compare and contrast George Benson and Bobby Womack. Of course, Bobby Womack wrote and produced the original Breezing. Uh, George Benson had the more successful and the much, I mean, the album Breezing at the time, I believe, and people could correct me, was the largest selling jazz album of all time. It would be eclipsed years later by the legendary Kenny G. Uh, A lot of people don't like Kenny G, but you hear the influence of a George Benson in a Kenny G because, as James mentioned, George Benson's Breezing version was more of a smooth jazz and you can make a claim that George Benson was a pioneer in smooth jazz along with Chuck Mangione, Herb Alpert, etc. It was doing this era where smooth jazz became popular, especially in the 1980s. 1980s, we had a radio station in New York that was the smooth jazz station in New York, which would play the George Bensons, the Herb Alberts, the Herbie Hancocks, uh, the Chuck Mangione, the Kenny G. Kenny G got his start on smooth jazz radio stations across the United States before he became, and I believe still to this day, the highest selling jazz musician of all time. And people will scoff at that. Uh, Kenny G was a, is was and is a bad boy don't don't mistake don't mistake just because you know he was a commercial artist and you know pop stations played his music kenny g a bad boy right you don't get to play the saxophone on babyface songs if you're not extremely skilled and talented right don't don't knock kenny g uh, uh don't knock kenny g all right anyway back to george benson George Benson was the prototype for Kenny G because George Benson showed you that you could be successful commercially, financially as a jazz artist. But what I love about Breezing, the album, and we'll talk more about this later in the next segment, was that that album, because of his commercial success, allowed 
George Benson, George Benson's vocal prowess to be exposed to the general public, to the to the paying public. And we'll talk more about that on this masquerade, which is a flawless heartache ballad. And we'll talk more about that after we hear the next voice note. I'm going to leave that be for now. I'm going to let it simmer. All right. Quick about George Benson. George Benson grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We'll talk more about him growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania after we hear the next voice note from Aja. Aja, great, uh, great romance novelist, urban romance novelist who is a Pittsburgh native. And she will talk about the greatness of George Benson and how he's revered in Pittsburgh. And look, I'll talk more. Matter of fact, I'm going to save it for after Aja's voice, though. Let me just talk a little bit about George Benson. George Benson started recording music at the age of nine, a child prodigy. Started playing the guitar at eight. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I listened to an old interview. The first instrument he played as a little boy was the ukulele, and then he transitioned into the guitar at the age of eight. At the age of nine, he was uh, recording music. Um, I'm trying to remember. He was born in 1943, so he would have been in his early 20s when he met Miles Davis and like a James M. Toomey, which I mentioned on this pod. The Mary J. Blige... Share My World tribute podcast is a much listen to because we talked about how Mary went from working with that piece of shit Puff Daddy in her first two albums to working with legendary jazz musicians like a James M. Toomey and George Benson. And we will end the podcast with another voice note by James. I'm going to replay his voice note on seven and we're going to finish the podcast with seven days because I think um, James hit the nail on the head with George Benson, and I'll bring it up before that, before his uh, James's voice note and Seven Days with Mary J. Blige featuring George Benson with his immaculate guitar playing on that song. Um, Miles Davis was a mentor to many legendary jazz musicians who later became huge soul and pop stars. James M. Toomey and George Benson being two of them. George Benson, I think this was his 15th album, Breezing. Okay, and George Benson, when he finally hit it huge mainstream with the Breezing album, and Breezing won Grammy Awards. Um, I'll talk more about that after we play This Masquerade. Uh, I th- uh, was Breezing... Was Breezing the song of the year or Dismasquerade? We'll, we'll discuss that on the other side after Aja and Dismasquerade. But Breezing was released in 1976, the song, the title track, and the album. And George Benson was 33 years old. He turned 80 this year, ladies and gentlemen. Second time in the last few months that I'm doing a tribute podcast on a legendary artist who turned 80 this year. Earlier couple of months, uh, a month and a half ago, I did the Whispers Tribute Pod. The Scott Twins turned 80 last month in September. And now, 
earlier this year, George, Burns, George Benson turned 80, and all both the Whispers and George Benson still perform live to this day. George Benson was 33 years old when Breezy came out. Finally made it big, and then he had a run that we will cover throughout this podcast from 1976 to 1984 of classic soul songs. I mean, they even though they hit the pop charts, this, this song, Breezing, I believe, and people could correct me out there, was the first song to ever go number one on the jazz, pop, and soul charts, the jazz, pop, and R&B charts. I don't believe that ever happened before. People could correct me. People could correct me. Um, I do a, a lot of this off the cuff. I'm off my memory, and sometimes my memory could be uh, a little uh, <laughs> vague. So uh, y'all let me know if I'm wrong. Y'all do your Google. I just know I was eight years old hearing this song, and it was always on the radio, always being played in my father's car. Back in 1976, 77, uh, man, it, it was two songs I always hear on the radio early. They were both massive instrumental hits. The Entertainer by Marvin Hamlish. I believe that was the legend's name. And Breezing by George Benson. We're going to hear Aja's voice note about the greatness of George Benson when it comes to her hometown. And then I'm going to piggyback on what Aja said and also talk about the masterpiece that this masterpiece was and will always be. Hey, Robert. It's been a while. It's Aja. Um... George Benson here in Pittsburgh is just um, one of those names. Our city is mostly known for sports. So when we have, I guess, artists, musicians, um, actors, they mean something to our city, especially when we're talking about black people for black people. But as generations have gone on, I think that um, there may be some people surprised that he's from the city of Pittsburgh. But yeah, for many years, George Benson was, and still for me, a legend, a hometown legend. And we hold on to our own. Just great music, great instrumentals, um, a great voice, a great talent. And um, I'm honored to be able to, I guess, share this hometown with him. So I hope that uh, everyone enjoys listening to this podcast. I hope I learned something. I find it, it fascinating how much information you have inside of you so that even when we're talking about an artist, I think I know. You know them so much better. Um, and so I'm always learning when I'm listening. So I'm looking forward to um, listening to this podcast and hearing what other people have to say. Um, but most especially listening to your knowledge as you drop it bit by bit. Thank you for asking me. Take care.
to unpack here with both the song This Masquerade and Oz's voice note. Let me go to Oz's voice note. Uh, Oz talked about George Benson being one of the few non-sports celebrities, non-sports icons from Pittsburgh. When you look at the history of Pittsburgh through my eyes, I'm not never been to Pittsburgh, you know, I'm Aja is the only person I know from Pittsburgh, right? Um, but from being a sports and music fan since 1977, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Pirates, Pittsburgh Penguins, and you've had great Pittsburgh athletes. When it comes to professional wrestling, Bruno Sammartino moved to Pittsburgh when he was a little boy when they, uh, when his, when his, uh, family escaped Nazi Germany after Nazi Germany had invaded and taken over Italy and then when they came to the United States uh, mid to late 40s they migrated to Pittsburgh and Bruno became one of Pittsburgh's greatest uh, heroes and greatest citizens. Kurt Angle born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania Olympic gold medalist and one of the greatest uh, pro wrestling figures of my lifetime. Okay, who else from Pittsburgh? Of course, you had great athletes in Pittsburgh, like a Roberto Clemente, the greatest Puerto Rican athlete of all time, made Pittsburgh his home. And the people in Pittsburgh, who at first, and Oz's parents could probably, uh, Second, this what I'm about to say because my father used to talk about it all the time. Of course, my father never went to Pittsburgh. But when Roberto Clemente first came to Pittsburgh in 1956, the citizens of Pittsburgh, the fans of the Pittsburgh Pirates, especially the white fans, didn't know what to think of this Puerto Rican, this black Puerto Rican baseball player 
who could barely speak English. Eventually, in the 19, early 1960s, Clemente became the leader of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You saw, and I talked all about this on my Roberto Clemente Tribute Podcast, um, the very first podcast I did here on the Legends of Sports and Music. So you guys could check uh, out uh, my historical overview of Roberto Clemente's career. But Clemente helped bring a lot of Latin and black players onto the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he became a father figure to the point when he died in 1972. Dave, um, not Dave Parker. Dave Parker took his place in right field, but before Dave Parker, Willie Stargell took over the leadership of the Pirates. Another great Pittsburgh athlete, Pittsburgh professional athlete, Willie Stargell. And, of course, Dave Parker, the uh, one of the greatest baseball players I've ever seen in my top ten, and it's a crime he's not in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Dave Parker, Willie Stargell. Of course, you had the great Pittsburgh Steelers of Terry Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Franco Harris. The great black head coach, in my opinion, the second greatest NFL coach of my lifetime in Mike Tomlin. And one day I will do a historical overview on Mike Tomlin's career because he's that legendary, that great. As I posted on Twitter a few weeks ago, Mike Tomlin gets the best out of the worst. No matter how defensively or offensively, well, never defensively flawed. The Pittsburgh Steelers are always a great defensive team. But no matter how offensively flawed the Steelers are, Mike Tomlin, year in and year out, has them in contention for a playoff spot. And when they make the playoffs, they are a dangerous team because they are always a hard-hitting defensive team. That's Mike Tomlin. And then when it comes to hockey, Mario Lemieux the second greatest hockey player of my lifetime after Wayne Gretzky. And of course, you've got the legend in Sydney, the young legend in Sydney Crosby today. So Pittsburgh, oh, and I don't want to forget the last legendary Pittsburgh baseball player, Barry Bonds, another guy like a Dave Parker who belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's crazy. Two of the ten greatest baseball players I've ever seen in my lifetime. Both played for the Pittsburgh Pirates and Dave Parker and Barry Bonds and both not in the Hall of Fame. Criminal. But that's a soapbox for another day and eventually I will do a Barry Bonds tribute podcast. So, those are several legendary athletes that were either born in Pittsburgh or played for Pittsburgh sports organizations. And let me not forget uh, Tony Dorsett, University of Pittsburgh, uh, Curtis Martin, Pitt, University of Pittsburgh. Just, oh, the great, the greatest defensive player the Saints ever had, Ricky Jackson. I talked about this when the first time I saw Ricky Jackson play was at the University of Pittsburgh. I have a Ricky Jackson tribute podcast on here. And, of course, the greatest Pittsburgh uh college football player of all time, the legendary Dan Marino. I did a podcast on him as well. So I've covered Pittsburgh athletes throughout this uh, throughout this uh, series of legendary athletes on the Legends of Sports and Music. I've got to do an episode on Dave Parker. So 
you can make the case, and I think Aja will agree with me, that the greatest artist, the greatest musician, the greatest singer ever to come out of Pittsburgh is the legendary George Benson. So I, I thank Aja, and I wanted Aja to contribute because, as she mentioned in her voice note, he's an institution in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, on the Mount Rushmore of, of Pittsburgh natives, he's got to be there. He's got to be near the top. Uh, eventually, one day, Aja will be on that Mount Rushmore. <laughs> now, back to the song, This Masquerade. This song won Record of the Year, and this was uh, in 1976. Uh, Breezing won Best Pop Instrumental Album, the Grammy, and This Masquerade won Song of the Year for George Benson. So you see, George Benson, with his first mainstream successful album in Breezing, also garnered uh, his first couple of Grammy Awards, and This Masquerade is a cover. Second time we covered a cover by the great Leon Russell, a song that he originally wrote, This Masquerade, just like a song for you. Those two songs he originally wrote and sung. But other artists that sung a thousand times better than the legendary member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame singer-songwriter Leon Russell. Donnie Hathaway murdered a song for you. I talked all about that on the Donnie Hathaway Part 1 Tribute Podcast. You can check that out. And this masquerade, George Benson turns Leon Russell's ver uh, song into his own song. That's the reason why I won a Grammy. This masquerade was the first time you heard George Benson sing mainstream because Breezing was a jazz album, but this masquerade had, vo had George Benson's vocal prowess. And as you hear James talk later on, when we end the podcast on Mary J. Blige's uh, Seven Days, I played the music video version in which George Benson is singing is, is, is doo -doo 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 to his guitar while playing the guitar. He does this masterfully in this masquerade. I love whenever do 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 do. Whenever whatever song he does, when he sings over his guitar riffs, like his vocals are matching what he's playing on the guitar, it's masterful. It's on that BB King, Albert King level of singing along to your guitar riffs. Oh, just beautifully done. And this masquerade talks about a, uh, a story about a couple who are together and wow to the outside world to those that see them in public they look like a happy couple but it's a masquerade and I went through that recently um, those who have been a loyal listener knows that my ex-girlfriend Vonette and I broke up August of 2022 it's been 14 months now okay um, I've since been in a relationship when I'm recording this, it'll be just, sh uh, I'm recording this on October 18th, which is 12 days shy of the first anniversary of me and my current girlfriend, Mia's first date. 
the end of the last, I would say from May to August, so June, May, June, July, the last four months of my relationship with Vonette, we were um, portraying a masquerade. These lyrics really hit home. Are we really happy here with this lonely game we play? The game being the facade of being happy to everybody that is in our circle, our relatives, my mother, my nephew, her son, her parents, her sisters, etc. Her best friends, etc. Looking for words to say, searching but not finding understanding anywhere. We're lost in a masquerade. Both afraid to say we're just too far away from being close together from the start. When we first start, everybody knows that's been in a serious relationship, that's in a serious relationship, that the first six months to a year is when the sparks are really flying. And it's just, I mean, it's just magic. And then you lose some luster, but true love stands the test of time. We were trying to test, uh, test it. We had been together eight years on and off. But like the lyrics say, we tried to talk it over, but the words got in the way. We're lost inside this lonely game we play. I talked about it on the podcast before. I'm not going to rehash it, but there was one thing she wanted from me. And there was one thing I wanted her to do that conflicted us going to that next level where, where it would have been either living together or getting married. There was something she was doing and there was something I wouldn't do for her. It conflicted. And so towards the end, especially the last month of our relationship, she became increasingly more angry. She became angry and angry. The littlest things I did would anger her. To the point where we just stopped talking and we broke up. Thoughts of leaving disappear every time I see your eyes. Now, this is true because every time I would see her, you know, thoughts of of ending because the thoughts crossed my mind several times over the last few months before we finally did it. But then I would see her beautiful smile, her beautiful face, and we get physical and... Those thoughts would disappear every time I see your eyes. No matter how hard I try to understand the reasons that we carry on this way, we're lost in a masquerade. But eventually, we ended that masquerade and um, it got to the point where the, the decision to part ways was the only alternative. There was no other alternative. That was the only conclusion. My bad. It was the only conclusion. There was no alternative. Couples counseling? No. It it came. It was the end of the road. And when I hear this masquerade, it's another song in George Benson's discography that relates to my life. Now, you're going to hear more about his music as it related to my life as a young boy. This is the one song that resonates today. Ladies and gentlemen, let me see who the next voice note is. And then, um, oh yeah, Mike Angel, Knoxville, Tennessee's finest. 
He's going to talk about the greatness of George Benson. Then I'm going to play. Then I'm going to play the greatest love of all. And we'll talk. Oh, I'm going to play two back-to-back covers. The greatest love of all and on Broadway. And we'll talk all about it on the other side. George Benson uh, was one of those musical prodigies, much like uh, the other artists that the OG has covered. Rick James, Prince, Stevie Wonder. Uh, This guy had it from a very early age. Uh, My first introduction to George Benson was probably in the early 80s on R&B radio when they were playing a lot of uh, jazz type tunes or jazz artists Al Jarreau, Chuck Mangione, Herb Albert uh, you know it was it was a it was a transition in music at that time and uh, they were playing a lot of George Benson and it was soulful uh, even his the instrumental work he did was great, and I mean you can look at Breezing, that, the album Breezing, and uh, that that title track. I mean you can just play that and just sit back and chill. Uh, George Benson has what I would call like a, a musical curiosity. Uh, you can't just pin him down into one particular genre. I mean he was a jazz. He could chart on the the jazz charts or the the pop charts and even the R&B charts. And that versatility is what made is what has made him one of the great artists of our time. You don't hear his name get mentioned much. And and that's probably because he hasn't just narrowed his focus. Uh he, he can he can do it all. But uh he is on my <laughs> I have multiple songs on my R&B playlist and jazz playlist from George Benson. Uh, not only was he a, you know, a great guitarist and uh, jazz musician, but he was a, to me, he was a good song, a great songwriter. I mean, all you have to do is like listen to uh, Hang Around You. I mean, that's a great freaking song. I mean, just check out some of these lyrics. Uh, Spending every moment of my life within your gaze my forever love to have you and to hold you uh george benson is uh he was a quiet storm maestro a jazz maestro and an all-around musician uh which unfortunately it's harder and harder to find these type of uh artists i mean you really have to search out for them nowadays even with uh everything that's available it's radio doesn't play these type of guys like you really have to go down uh, a rabbit hole and uh, i'm glad george benson is receiving his just do uh flowers Children are our future 
future Teach them well and let them lead the way Show them all the beauty they possess inside Give them a sense of pride To make it easier Let the children's laughter Remind us how we used to be Everybody searching for a hero Someone to look up to I never found anyone who fulfilled my need A lonely place to be So I learned to depend on me I decided long ago Never to walk in anyone's shadow If I fail to me
by the way, I made a mistake. I said my brother Mike Angel was from Knoxville. No, he's from Chattanooga. I correct myself. I'm sorry, Mike, for that mistake, for that blunder. Um, his voice note, as usual, whenever Mike contributes to the legends of sports and music, he's on point with not only his musical knowledge, but his analysis of the artists we're talking about. And he's on point with George Benson again. Um, want to piggyback on what Mike said about George being one of the great artists of our lifetime in terms of musicianship, singing, being able to cross over from jazz and soul into pop music. Um, he, what I want to piggyback on Mike is George in the 1980s was like a Lionel Richie and a Jeffrey Osborne in which his audience was a much more mature audience. Now, I know Lionel in the 80s had huge success with white teenagers, urban teenagers, but the music he made weren't for, for, for children. The music he made was for adults, urban, contemporary, older folks. We're talking 30 and above. This show, The Legends of Sports and Music, you could call it an urban contemporary show because 75% of my audience is 35 and older. 25 is younger than the age of 35. Why is that? It's because I talk about artists like George Benson, Luther Vandross, Lana Ritchie, Jeffrey Osborne, The Whispers, Whitney Houston. And we're going to talk about Whitney in a second. Michael Jackson, Sade. All the great quote-unquote old school artists, and they're really not old school because their music transcends time. Mike brought up a point about it's rare that an artist is as versatile as George Benson in terms of being a jazz musician, musician and a great soul singer. Well, the one guy that I can compare to George Benson that's out today that's had an incredible career is Robert Glasper. Robert Glasper has had a George Benson-like start to his career. And it really, really was a slap in the face when at a, I don't know if it was the Grammy Awards, because I don't watch any of these award shows. But there was an award show this year in which Chris Brown and Robert Glasper were nominated for Best Soul Album, Best R&B Album, and Robert Glasper won. And when they interviewed Chris Brown afterwards, he claimed he never heard of Robert Glasper. That's a slap in a great musician like Robert Glasper's face. Let's make the comparison. George Benson won Record of the Year for This Masquerade. Imagine in 1977 if a young Michael Jackson, who at that point in time was... Let me make sure I got his age correct because Michael is 10 years older than me. At the time that the Grammy Awards in 1977 would have aired, Michael would have been... Okay, so he was born in... 58. Michael would have been 18. He wouldn't have turned 19 yet because he was born in August of 58. So imagine an 18-year-old Michael after the Grammy Awards. They interview Michael and Michael's like, hey, your, your, your group, the Jacksons, they lost out to, uh, or the Wiz soundtrack, lost, lost out to uh, George Benson. What do you think? Do you think he deserved? 
Michael would have said George Benson was one of the greats, that he idolized George Benson. He would have probably sung a tune or two of George Benson during the interview. Chris Brown saying he didn't know who Robert Glasper was? That is a sad state of affairs of the great artists that we have today. And Chris Brown is a great artist. Great singer, phenomenal performer. Um, despite his transgressions, despite his... Uh, <laughs> His uh, lunacy from time to time, and it's well documented. He is a generational talent. Whether you want to argue or not, there's no argument there. The boy is talented, multi-talented, and should have been a bigger star than what he's been. And he's been a big star, but he should have been one of those all-time megastars. But uh, he's been his own worst enemies. Especially with the situation with Rihanna, which really sidetracked his career. And yet, he still has a loyal audience. And considering the controversy early in his career, he's had a very good to excellent career. It should have been an all-time great career. But it really baffles me that he claims at the time, he claimed at the time that he didn't know who Robert Glasper is. And now, ladies and gentlemen, they're going to make music together. So, that's Sometimes a positive comes out of a negative, and hopefully with two great talents in Robert Glasper and Chris Brown, they can make beautiful music together. So I say that to say that Robert Glasper is the only contemporary artist I know that I can compare to George Benson as Robert Glasper was a jazz musician. He is a jazz musician and a great soul singer a la George Benson. Now... On to the two songs I played back-to-back, and I made another mistake. The Greatest Love of All was not a cover. This was the original song that I played by George Benson. Whitney Houston's song that came out in 1985 off a debut album, that was the cover. And while it's the same song lyrically, both come come from it with a different approach. There's two different emotions. George is singing about Muhammad Ali because the greatest love of all was the theme song from the soundtrack of the movie The Greatest when the the, the life of Muhammad Ali when the movie starts Muhammad Ali who played himself in The Greatest is jogging right training for a fight he's jogging doing his road work and they play George Benson's magnificent The Greatest Love of All I mean and the song is based on Ali because the songwriters, Michael Masser and Linda Creed, went out to make a song that they felt exemplified Muhammad Ali's courage for his stance against Vietnam, his stance against the Vietnam War, which over three and a half years was taken away from his prime, from his boxing career. And when you hear George Benson sing it, the great. Um, um, he is singing as though he's singing from Muhammad Ali's point of view. You hear some of the the, the lyrics and the way he sings it. Um, I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity, which is exactly what. 
was going through Muhammad Ali's mind when, in 1967, he rejected induction into the United States military and railed against the Vietnam War and was convicted but paid his bail and fought that conviction and eventually it was overturned by the Supreme Court in September of 1970. In, I'm sorry, in June of 1971. Ladies and gentlemen, I have another platform that I uh, prim- primarily do boxing on. It's called Hitman Chronicles. You can find it on any of these podcast um, platforms you're listening to the Legends of Sports. It's called the Hitman Chronicles. And I'm doing a series on the life and times of Muhammad Ali. I've done six chapters. By the time you hear this, you might have had the seventh chapter. And I cover extensively so far his career in the 1960s. And one of the episodes, episode five, Return from Exile, The Life and Times of Muhammad Ali. I talk about his stance against Vietnam and what he went through for three and a half years, unable to fight and struggling to make ends meet because he was stripped of his passport, he was stripped of his boxing license, he was stripped of his heavyweight championship of the world. The greatest love of all, Michael Massa said in an interview many, many years ago, probably around the time that The Greatest came out, is that Ali was a hero to him because he saw Ali put his life and his career on the line in order for to, to fight for something that he strongly believed in, to fight for something that he thought was unjust, the Vietnam War. When you hear the greatest love of all, that's Michael Massa and the great, the late great Linda Creed come together and cook up a song that exemplifies the fighting spirit and courage of a Muhammad Ali throwing away millions, and I mean millions of dollars because his conscience would not allow him to go off to Vietnam and even though he wasn't going to fight, they would have made him a symbol of America. They would have used Ali's status as heavyweight champion of the world and he would be boxing exhibitions, sort of like what Joe Lewis did during World War II. Ali could not stomach that. Ali could not live with himself with that. And he took a stance. And in the end, he was right. Despite the fact that he lost millions of dollars. They can't take away my dignity. Because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. It was that self-love. That enabled Muhammad Ali to overcome the prejudice of the American media, of the American government, being ostracized by boxing fans, by the media, the racist middle-class media. And in the end, when he died in June of 2016 at the age of 74, two years younger than my mother, he died a national hero because you could never take away his, her- his heroic stance Against the Vietnam War. Now, Whitney Houston's version, and I covered all, it all. I talked all about it on the Whitney Houston Tribute Podcast, so you can go check that out for a more uh, thorough breakdown of her song by me. But her song, in my opinion, is different. Her version is different than George Benson's 
version because her song is dealing with children being the best that they could be. I believe the children are the future. So, and then you see the music video, Whitney singing with a bunch of children, and, tr and her version is a way of uplifting children, while George Benson's version is telling children about the greatness of Muhammad Ali and how Ali stood firm and beat the system because of his inner convictions. Uh, but both great, great songs. I prefer the George Benson version more because it's the, not only because it's the original version, but because Ali is one of the three, my three most favorite people that ever lived. And I remember watching this movie when it first aired on television and watching Ali uh, at the beginning of the movie jogging to this song. And I'm like, wow, that's a great song. That's a great song. And, and, and my father, whose favorite artist at that time period, during that time period was George Benson. And Ali was my father's favorite boxer of all time and one of the two Athletes he idolized the most Roberto Clemente and Muhammad Ali And both those men stood for principles Both, both those men fought the systems in their various sports And were very political My father had an even greater admiration for George Benson When he heard George Benson sing that song about Muhammad Ali And now on to On Broadway Which was originally done by the Drifters and both the Drifters version and George Benson's version is great. This version I'm playing is the live version. And man, once again, like I mentioned earlier on This Masquerade, like James will mention later on in the podcast, when I played the version that George Benson sings at the end of Seven Days, the song he played guitar for Mary J. Blige, is him doing... And by the way, that beat, that infectious beat throughout the whole song. Doom, doom, do the doom, 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 do the doom, doom, doom. Oh, that's beautiful. It's just perfect because George flows over that beat. And I love the part that he, I, he probably ad libbed this because I don't believe it's in the original. Because I could play this here guitar. <laughs> oh, I love it. I fucking love it. And you hear at the end, George, oh, once again, riffing while he's playing the piano. Oh, man. Words cannot express the greatness of this live version of this song. George bodies it, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's just a masterpiece from a, from a masterful soul singer and musician. Okay, now we're going to play another, uh, we're going to play another cover by uh, George Benson. His version of Skip the Skip Scarborough written, originally performed by Jeffrey Osborne in LTD Love Ballad. And I'm going to compare and contrast Love Ballad, George Benson's version, to the original version by Jeffrey Osborne, LTD, and by a later version by uh, Casey and JoJo. We'll talk all about that on the other side. <laughs> Ooh, 
All right. Love Ballad. George Benson. 2023. This is the third time this year in 2023 that I will be talking about a version of Love Ballad. The beginning of the year, uh, I did an episode on the career of Jeffrey Osborne. I talked about the magnificence of his version of Love Ballad, the original Love Ballad. What was going down in the studio, the whole nine. You could check it out on the Jeffrey Osborne tribute pod. Then a few months later on the Casey and JoJo tribute pod, I talked about their version. And now I talk about George Benson's version. Of the three, if I had to rate them, and I'm not going to say worse because all three are magnificent versions. Of the three versions, in my opinion, George Benson's is number three. Number one is Jeffrey, Jeffrey Osborne. I mean, and KC does a phenomenal job because he's the sole lead singer on KC and JoJo's version of Love Ballad. So let me take JoJo out the equation because KC is singing Love Ballad all by himself. JoJo's doing background singer, background vocals. So number one is Jeffrey Osborne. Because he embodied the song with that powerful baritone. What we have is much more than... Oh, I mean, it's just amazing. One of the greatest ballads that ever lived. Now, while Casey falls short, I do love the twist he does at the end of the song. When he ad-libs, they don't know, they don't know what I love that. Love that because that's KC at his begging bet. Well, not really begging because Love Ballad is an unconditional love song about two women. I mean, two women. God, Lord, I apologize. Two people, a man and a woman. Well, it could be two women. About two people. So let me backtrack. About two people, in, 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 in my case, a man and a woman who unconditionally love each, love each other with unbridled passion. And the the song is what what we have is just more than they can see. And then Casey goes, they don't know, they don't know. And I covered it extensively on the Casey and JoJo pod. George Ben and then Casey and Jeffrey Osborne both have par- powerful baritone voices. That song, Love Ballad, is really for a baritone singer. Now, George Benson is not a baritone. He's a tenor. He's a smooth tenor. Some of the most powerful vocals George has ever sung throughout his career is on Love Ballad. But it's a much more up-tempo, up-tempo, jazzy, jazz, because he's playing the guitar, uh, jazz-influenced song. This is a jazz-influenced version, George Benson's version. Even when, but he does his best, even with his smooth tenor, when he goes, lovers come and then lovers go. I mean, that's what people say, don't they know? They don't, I mean, he doesn't. <laughs> he sings as powerful as his smooth tenor can allow him to sing while doing this song in a different way than Jeffrey and years later KC would do. Much more smooth, much more up-tempo, much more jazzy. Because But he does a phenomenal job in 
given this song its just due with his um, unique smooth tenor jazz influenced vocals. What we have is much more than they can see. So, all three songs had the other two didn't exist. Let's just say the only version of Love Ballad was George Benson's version. It would have been an all-time classic. Let's say the only version of Love Ballad was Casey's and, and JoJo with Casey singing lead version. That would have been a classic. But because Jeffrey Osborne's original exists... The other two are just great covers, but in the end, Jeffries is the song that will forever go down as one of the great ballads of all time by itself. And I love Casey Haley. I love George Benson. There's only one love ballad I recognize, and that is LTD's love ballad, sung lead. By the legend himself, Jeffrey Osborne. So I mean, this was a fun discussion to have. Um, you can't go wrong with all three songs, but don't tell me that KC's version is the best, and don't ever ever tell me George Benson's version is the best because there's only one king of love ballad, and that is the incomparable Jeffrey Osborne. All right, now we're going to hear from my uh, fellow New Yorker, my fellow native New Yorker, Simone. She's going to talk about the greatness of, and we've got love, times love. Oh, man. We're, we've got a couple of voice notes coming back to back. We're going to hear Simone and then love, times love. And then after I talk about Simone's voice note and love, times love, we're going to hear for the first time in a long time, another native New Yorker, my brother, Jr., the king of R&B historians. He's going to talk about later on in the podcast, Give Me the Night. But before we get to JR, we're going to hear from Simone about her uh, love of George Benson and her love of Love Times Love. We're going to play Love Times Love, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk all about my all-time favorite George Benson song. You know, there are some albums that you grew up with that just will forever be in rotation for you and give me the night by george benson's is just it's just one of those ones this is just never gonna gonna stop getting played i mean it has so many classics from um on broadway right the title track give me the night uh, moody's mood for love um he redid star of the story um from from Heatwave, and then there's you know the great Love Times Love, one of my favorite um, tracks off the album that was written by, of course, the great Rod Temperton, who actually his his birthday was a few days ago, I believe. Um, and you know when Quincy assembles his dream team, you know it's like magic just happens, right? You have Quincy, you got. Rod Temperton, Lewis Johnson, Paulino da Costa, Greg Fillinghains, Patty Austin, James Ingram. You, you have all of those, those players that he loves to, to work with and assemble. And I believe most of them are, are on this, this album. A few of them are on this track, I think. 
And, you know, when you hear, you know, this breezy guitar by George Benson, and then you hear my girl Patty Austin, you know, she's floating in the background with those those beautiful uh, angelic-like background vocals. It's just, uh, it's just beautiful. And then, of course, written by, you know, the great Rod Temperton. And Quincy's arranging is just so masterful. Um, it's just, it's just a beautiful song, right? You can, you know, two-step to it. You can, you know, chill out to it. Like I said, it's, it's one of my favorite tracks, uh, off the, the album.
uh, just magnificent analysis by Simone on not only the song Love Time Love, but the entire album, Give Me the Night. And we'll talk more about it because on this podcast, we're looking at three incredible songs from that incredible album. In my opinion, the greatest single album George Benson ever did was his Give Me the Night that was released August of 1980. And it only made sense because the legendary Quincy Jones produced the entire album. And Rod Temperton, Rod Temperton, wrote the next two songs we'll talk about. Love, Times Love That You Heard, that Simone talked about. And Give Me The Night That You'll Hear JR talk about. And that I will piggyback on, on, on his thoughts as well. Rod Temperton, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the greatest songwriters of all time, period. The amount of great ballads he's written over the years is incredible. Is just incredible. Timeless ballads. Always and forever, the group Heat Wave that he was a part of. Love Times Love. Gimme the Night. Lady in My Life. You are the lady in my life. Slow Jams. The original one with SWV, not the uh, redid version with Tamia, because Quincy was trying to push her because that was his protege. No, I'm talking about the original version that was on the original CD and cassette before it was relaunched with Tamia's version. No, I'm talking about Slow Jams, Babyface, Whip Appeal. Babyface SWV, which I talked all about on the SWV podcast. The greatness of Coco and Babyface going back and forth. Rod Temperton wrote all the songs, and there's been many more. I'm just naming you a few. Rod Temperton was that dude. And unfortunately, I believe he died a year ago. And like Simone said, his birthday was recently. Man is a legend. If you will make a comparison as far as... Behind a uh, creative in hip hop, I would compare Rod Temperton in soul music, R&B music, pop music, to the Alchemist in hip hop. And you can draw your lines on what I'm trying. You could draw your conclusions on what lines I'm talking about when I'm comparing Rod Temperton, soul music, pop music, to the Alchemist in hip hop. Anyway. Love Times Love, my all-time favorite George Benson song. And this brings me back to memories of a 12, 13-year-old boy in the Bronx. And if you've heard my podcast before, especially the Lionel Richie and the Michael Jackson Part 1 podcast, you know that those were some days that were filled with a lot of childhood trauma, um, Poverty, my father's battle with alcoholism, the constant fighting between him and my mother because of finances, because of his drinking. That being said, my mother never loved a man like my father, and my father never loved a woman like my mother. They had unconditional love. And whenever my father played Love Times Love in the car, he starts singing it because that song related to not only them as a married couple, them as a forever couple, but 
They're four kids, all six of us. Mother, father, and the four kids. Um, me being the oldest at that time, 12 years old, when the song came out, and he's driving us either to the Whitestone Movie Theater when it was a drive-in for those from the Bronx, for those from New York. Remember the Whitestone Multiplex in the Bronx in the Whitestone Bridge? Well, originally, before it became a multiplex, now it's, uh, someone told me it's an Amazon warehouse, but for years, throughout the 80s, into the 90s, into the early 2000s, that was one of the leading multiplexes in the Bronx. Probably the most popular multiplex in the Bronx. Before it became a multiplex, it was a drive-in movie theater. And throughout, 19, throughout the summer of 1980, my father and my mother would take us to the drive-in because kids 12 and under got in for free back then. And I was 12, but I was a minuscule 12-year-old. I was a short skinny 12 year old I think I was 4'8 4'9 and 95 pounds alright so I I was 12 but I could pass for 11 10 11 years old so we got in for free and I think it was three fifty, four dollars for my parents and the four of us the four siblings me and my three siblings would go in with, 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 with my parents and uh, Simone would love this one of the movies we saw that summer was Which Way Is Up? Because that movie theater, the drive-in would show a new movie and an old movie. Well, older movie, not a recent movie. We saw History of the World, Part 1. We saw Which Way Is Up. That might have been the doubleheader. Anyway, one night, because we lived on Elder and Westchester, my father drove us, up, drove us out to... Uh, Whitestone, this was towards the end of the summer of 1980, late August, because um, he had just, he had just, I believe, stolen the 8-track out, out of a, out of a uh, record store. I talked all about this for more on my father playing George Benson, check out my Father's Day tribute podcast. And the Give Me the Nights uh, segment. Now, I'll go more into it later on in the podcast. But when love, when we went to go see Which Way Is Up that night. And the following week when we went to Coney Island. My father drove all the way from the Bronx to, to, to Coney Island. To go to Coney Island to, to, to take us on the rides. My father would sing out loud. When Love Times Love came out, came on the A track, and he would smile at my mother and he would wink at the kids, the four of us in the back seat. Because he goes, Remember the days when we never had a dime, and our dreams seemed a million miles away, but we made it, baby, facing the bad times with a smile. Here we are, and we're growing stronger. Day. By day, cause we've got love, times love. 1980 was the year that we struggled the most as a family. Um, my father's uh, shenanigans with the alcohol, and it was just a, it was a tenuous. Ten my mother left him for a few days back then. Actually, for eight days, my mother left him. I talked all about it in a prior podcast. I'm not going to uh, 
regurgitate the same stories. But this song hit home because despite all the hell we went through in the summer 80, and we still were going to face hell because a couple of months later, the building we lived in on Elder and Westchester burnt was burnt to the ground, and we had to be put in a family shelter. And that's how eventually we got to move to the Millbrook Projects in the South Bronx, April of 1981. But despite all the hell that the family went through, 90% of it caused by my father, reason we survived uh, those traumatic times was because the entire family, me, my brother Charlie, my two sisters, and my parents, because there was genuine love from, from my parents for each other and from my parents towards us. So we got love times love. It's always there for us to share. And girl, it feels good to know you're by my side. And I said many a times, if my mother wasn't by my father's side, he would have died in his 20s, a lonely man, homeless on the street. She and his kids were the reason he was living is the reason why he willed himself to live and even though he died at the tender age of 52 at 52 he lived the life of a man 90 years old with all the shit that he caused and all the shit he went through and everything that just surrounded us <laughs> my father was a character for those who do not know go back and listen to several of the podcasts because I reference a lot of the things my father did throughout his lifetime and throughout my lifetime. Um, but you know what? Couldn't ask. I would never want somebody else to have been my father. Because I'm the man I am because of my father. So um, once again, I want to thank Simone for that great voice note. And my all-time favorite George Benson song. Because those days, my father, who loved George Benson, would sing that song. And even though he couldn't sing... Better singing than me, but that's not saying a lot. You could hear the emotion in my father's voice when he goes, Because we got love, times love. It's a oh. That song is just amazing, and it takes me back to how we were able to overcome all the strife in our life back in 1980. All right. We're going to hear from another great song written by Rod Temperton, also on the Give Me the Night album, produced by Quincy Jones. My brother JR, the native New Yorker, the leading R&B soul music historian on the internet, is going to talk about the greatness of the song. We're going to play Give Me the Night, and then I'm going to talk all about it on the other side. What's going on, everybody? This is JR from the R&B Representatives, and I am back to talk again. It's been a minute, man. I, you know, life has been lifing for real, but it's so good to be back on my brother Rob's podcast. Um, so we're talking about George Benson. Oh, man. Um, there's so many things that I would really, really like to talk about him for, but again, I can't run my mouth for too long. So um, the song that I'm going to be talking about is Give Me the Night. I just remember hearing the song and it's just a feel good record. You know, I remember as a kid when um, my aunts in Long Island uh, 
would have parties and we would go out and they would play this song all the time. And it was just one of those things that you just saw everybody just groove into it. It wasn't the type that you would really get in the middle of the dance floor and you would like dance. It was kind of like a nice bop, you know what I'm saying? And, and my family would have their beers and, you know, people would be drinking their liquors, different type of liquors because my family gets down. Y'all don't judge us that y'all don't know our story. Okay. So, um, so I just remember that song and I just finally remember like, yo, I want to know like who did this record? You know what I'm saying? And this is also during a time where I'm starting to really look at line of notes. So I'm like, oh, Quincy Jones did this. Rob Temperton did this. Wow. Okay. Because we all know George Benson did his own stuff. He did his own stuff. And finally, um, my brother Vern got me his book, his autobiography, Rob Temperton's book. And he explained about when they first met George Benson, it was a little hard because George Benson is a jazz guy. And we all know how the jazz world feels about the R&B world. You know, Patrice Russian went through it. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's so many jazz artists that cross over to the R&B side. So it was a little hard with, you know, George Benson because he's, you know, he does his own stuff. So to be working with Rob Temperton and, 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 and Quincy Jones, he had to, had to kind of open up to them and they had to show him that they, they're musical too. So when they did Give Me the Night and Patty Austin was involved with it and, you know, they was just jamming that night. So when they made the record, Quincy Jones was like, yo, let's take this to the club because we need to know if this song really, really hits. And he took it to the club and, and uh, he asked the DJ to put it on that night. And the club lost it. And Quincy Jones said in that moment, he knew that they had a hit. You know what I mean? Because the clubs were rocking to it. You know what I mean? And it has that Rob Temperton flavor that we love. It has that, you know, Quincy Jones production that we love. And Patty Austin in it, given her backgrounds, was just as great as George Benson's you know, leads, you know what I'm saying? But it's such a great song. It's a nice groove. It makes you happy. It's a happy song, you know what I mean? And you can really, really groove to it. So I just wanted to talk about that a little. I really want to thank Rob for letting me talk about this song for real because it's a song that brings me back to, you know, when all my family was here, all my family was living, and it was just a time where you would just walk through the door and that song would be blaring and everybody just smiling. You didn't see anybody sad or anything. So this song is so great. Appreciate it, Rob, for letting me talk about it, y'all. So here's Give Me the Night by George Benson. Romance, so check. 
Once again, thank to the great JR from the R&B representatives. Um, check them out on YouTube. I even appeared on one episode as we talked about one of my four favorite ballads of all time. Love you, need you, want me, want you. You heard If you heard the Patti LaBelle episode I did on the Legend Sports and Music, that's a great, uh, how do you put it? It's a great side piece to the Patti LaBelle uh, podcast I did me appearing on the YouTube RV Representatives po- podcast when we talked about love you need you want you it was a great companion piece to my Pat LaBelle tribute podcast now what JR said about George Benson's reluctance to work with other musicians especially in the pop and R&B world is true Rod Temperton has a phenomenal biography out um, go ahead and check it out like every other book is available on Amazon. And it gives you a great insight into George Benson, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, James Ingram, Patty Austin. And I love how JR brought up Patty Austin singing background on Gimme the Night. There was also somebody, I'm surprised JR didn't bring it up, so, but you know, what brothers do is that they piggyback, and if one, um, left something out. The other will uh, will uh, fill in the fill in the blanks. You hear at the end of the song, uh, "Give me the night, please, believe, give me the night." You hear that deep voice. That's Jim Gilstrap. Jim Gilstrap 
I mentioned before on the Stevie Wonder Tribute Podcast, also available here on the Legend of Sports and Music, sang the beginning of You Are the Sunshine of My Life. And he was one of the lead singers of the Good Times um, theme song. Keeping your head of the water. <laughs> Temporary layoff. That's Jim Gilstrap. Temporary layoff. And then at the end of Gimme the Night. Um, Please don't turn on Gimme the Night. <laughs> now, I talked extensively about this song. And shout out to Aisha. Who dedicated that song on my Father's Day podcast to her beloved father. And I talked about the escapade one night, August of 1980. This was a week or two before we went to the movies to see uh, Which Way is Up in History of the World. And before we went to Coney Island. And my father singing Love Times Love. He played Gimme the Night. The night he was supposed to take us to White Castle. Which was maybe six, seven blocks away from our apartment. And we wound up almost in upstate New York. And I'm not going to rehash the entire... It was a very traumatic experience for me and my three siblings. As we're riding in the back and we're screaming at my father. While he's blasting Give Me the Night to turn around. My father's dead drunk, speeding. I don't know how we survived that night. God was watching over us. I give the complete details of that traumatic evening on... The Father's Day Tribute Podcast. So go check that out. And I'd really recommend you guys. For, never mind that story. But I had over 20 listeners. Uh, send in testimonials about their fathers. About being a father. About their grandfathers. Uncles. What was a father figure. And songs that related to their love. And the love that. Their love of the, their fathers. And their father figures. And the love that they received from their fathers and father figures um so i'm not going to rehash that story but what i'm going to say is other than that night whenever my father because my father played the give me the night album over and over again especially give me the night and love times love love times love is my all-time favorite george benson song give me the night is my second favorite george benson song off my favorite george benson album give me the night and George floats on the song. So come on out tonight and we could be the... Don't you know you can fly? <laughs> Love that! Oh, it's an amazing song. And Rod Tepperton, one of the greatest songwriters, talked about his, his incredible writing and George Quincy Jones' production on Love Times Love. Well, the same here. Patty Austin with the incredible background vocals. Jim Jill Strap with the incredible background vocals. Well, we got a treat, ladies and gentlemen. Because the next song we're about to play, the final song from this album that we will play, is another cover by George Benson. And as you can see, George Benson was the master of covering classics. And we're about to play Moody's Mood. And Moody's Mood, anybody who's, mm, I'm trying to say right now, 45 and older that grew up in New York City in the five boroughs, 
that listened to soul music, R&B music, used to listen to WBLS FM, knows the significance the significance of this song. The original song, not George Benson's cover, but the original song. We're going to talk all about it because George Benson does justice to this classic song, Moody's Mood. So we're going to play Moody's Mood and we're going to talk all about the original and George Benson's flawless cover on the other side. Such a funny thing, but every time I'm near you, I never can behave. You give me a smile and then I'm wrapped up in your magic. Music all around me, crazy music, music that keeps calling me so very close to you. Turns me your slave. Come and do with me all the things that you want to. Anything, baby, just let me get next to you. see heaven in your eyes bright as stars that shine up above you in the clear blue skies how i worry about you just can't live my life without you baby come here don't have no fear oh is there wonder why i'm really feeling in the mood for love so tell me why Stop to think about this weather, my dear. This little dream I fade away. There I go talking out of my head again. Oh, baby, won't you come and put our two hearts together? That would make me strong and brave. Oh, when we are one, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. There's a cloud up above us Go on and let it rain I'm sure our love together would do a hurricane Oh my baby Won't you please let me love you and get a release from this awful misery What is all this talk about loving me, my sweet? I am not afraid Not anymore, not like before you understand me? Come on and please pull yourself together. Got to do it very soon. My heart's on fire. Come on and take me up. Be what you make me, my darling, my sweet. Oh, pretty baby, you make me feel so good. Let me take you by the hand. Come, let us visit our Maybe there we can find a good place to keep a loving state of mind. I'm so crazy about love, never knowing what love's on about. James, will you come on in, man? You can blow now if you want to. It through. 
When I was 10 years old, I began to listen to this little transistor radio. And then my parents, for Christmas 1978, got me a my own radio that you could plug into the wall. Uh, and it was my escape from reality, radio. Um, radio was a bigger influence in my life as a child than television. Because with radio, I listened to various radio stations. Like in 1978, 78, when I first started listening to the radio full time, you had, I'd listened to, in New York City, the Bronx, um, 57 AM WMCA, because they had the Yankee games, the New, Jer- the New Jersey Net games, New York Islander hockey games. The New Jersey Nets are now known as the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and they also had a sports talk radio show that I used to listen to every night. The first one of its kind in my lifetime. And that was the future legendary Yankees radio baseball announcer, John Sterling. He had a talk show that would begin before each Yankee game and end after the Yankee game. And he was a controversial figure. He wasn't the grandpa that everybody loved as the Yankee announcer. You know, the, the, the cuddly old bear. In 1978, when I first started listening to the radio... He was a mean bastard to his callers, calling them idiots. He was real nasty with, with, with his callers, and eventually that got him fired. And Arthur George Russ Jr., who was the leading pioneer in 1980 sports talk radio before WFAN came on the air in 1987, it was Arthur George Russ Jr. that made the sports talk show format in New York popular with first on WMCA radio and then in 1981 he moved over to WABC radio and he would have the same type of gig that John Sterling used to have at WMCA WABC radio 77 a.m. had the Yankee games and so Monday through Friday 6 to 10 p.m. Arthur George Russ Jr. would be on the radio when there were Yankee games, he would be on from 6 o'clock until the Yankee pregame show. And then he would come on after the Yankee game was over. That was Arthur George Russ Jr. And he held that gig, I think, until 1987, 1988. And by that time, I was going to college in New Orleans. Okay. Other radio stations I used to listen to from 1978 throughout the 1980s. I used to listen to WNEWAM. WNEWAM played standards during the day. But at night, they would basically be Madison Square Garden Radio. And they would broadcast the home games of the New York Knicks, the New York Rangers of the hockey, and Friday night fights at Madison Square Garden's Felt Forum, which has now been renovated 30 years ago into being um, what's it now the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden but it was the Felt Forum back then and every two weeks they would have Friday Night Fights on WNEW AM as they were the home of Madison Square Garden Radio 
musically. I, in 1978, I began to listen to WABC AM when they were one of the top top 40 stations in America with George Michael, not the singer, um, disc jockey on WABC, the nighttime disc jockey, and he would also be a sportscaster with the news, with the evening news on WABC Channel 7, Eyewitness News. And then he would have his own syndicated show that was real popular in the 1980s called George Michael's Sports Machine. Also on WABC Radio, you had Dan Ingram, Harry Harrison. Um, They were big in New York City market, but then eventually, in 1979, I would venture off into the FM part of the world. In 1978, I only dealt with AM. But in 1979, I'd move over to the FM side of the dial on the radio, on my radio. And I discovered a black soul station, urban contemporary radio, WBLS in New York, in which Frankie Crocker was the program director and the afternoon drive time guy. And he played an incredible mix of disco also, he would even he would even play Frank Sinatra, Benny Goodman, jazz. He played whatever he wanted to play because he was the boss. He was the program director. And WBLS became the number one radio station in New York City because of Frankie Crocker's um, genius as a program director and as a music programmer doing his show. And eventually, in the early 80s, and I've spoke about this many a times on this podcast, Frankie Crocker would bring to the airwaves The Quiet Storm, starring Vaughn Harper. And that would become a staple of New York City radio that continues to this day because WBLS still exists. And Lenny Green is the host of The Quiet Storm. Lenny Green used to have his own Quiet Storm-type program on KISS FM, Kissing After Dark, but uh, over a decade ago, Kiss FM and BLS merged. And so now, instead of two urban contemporary radio stations, you only have one in New York City, which is sad. Sad. The state of radio these days is just tragic. Anyway, I digress. Then, he also, Frankie Crocker, in the early 80s, introduced the world to the black Puerto Rican god John Rivas, Mr. Magic, and Mr. Magic's Rap Attack became the single most influential hip-hop radio show in the history of New York City radio. It helped, it helped launch the careers of Marley Mall, uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, LL Cool J, uh, Run DMC, Eric B. and Rakim. The list is endless. Mr. Magic's Rap Attack, and we need a documentary on Mr. Magic's Rap Attack. And if anybody knows, it's probably going to be Nas's, uh, Nas's uh, company that does the Mr. Magic documentary because he's named three of his last six albums Magic after Mr. Magic. Because there's a picture of him and the Puerto Rican god John Rivas on... The, uh, on the um, the artwork of the album. All right, so 
BLS became my go-to radio station to listen to until 1981 or 1982 when KISS FM came on the scene. And so I would split my time between KISS FM and BLS. And so for the rest of the 80s, up until I left for New Orleans in 1986 and when I came back in 1989, uh, so minus the years I, I lived in New Orleans, the main things I would listen on the radio would be KISS FM, BLS, WBLS, KISS FM, um, Art Rush Jr. on WABC Radio. Then in 1987, WFAN began All Sports Talk, and so I started listening to that station a lot. And so I would split my time. And in the 90s, I would split my time, even when I was living with my, with, with my, son's, my, my beloved son's mother. I would listen to the radio as much as possible and then I stopped listening to the radio altogether in 2005. The last, the last uh, radio personality I was a fan of was Star, Star and Buck of uh, the Star and Buck Wild fame show that was first on Hot 97 and Power 105, and both times he got kicked off controversially for actions that you couldn't keep that dude on the air. But I loved him as a personality. He was a controversial personality, but he spoke his mind. The, that's the one thing I enjoyed about his show. He spoke his mind, and he railed against the music that was beginning to... Ugh, the hip-hop music on Hot 97 and then Power 105 that was... Uh, uh, that needed to be fumigated off the air. He, um, he was the only one during the early 2000s that had Chuck D on his station when Chuck D couldn't even get arrested on New York radio. So um, kudos to Star for that. Now, history of me listening to Radio New York. Frankie Crocker is probably the most influential radio star, radio personality of my lifetime in New York City because he was responsible, like I said, for Mr. Magic, for the Quiet Storm, Vaughn Harper. For the type of music I love Because once I tuned in to WBLS in 1979 No longer was I fucking with the pop stations On the AM dial Which was WNBC The home of Don Imus 66 on the AM dial And 77 WABC I would only listen to WABC A couple of years later When Art Rush Jr. would do his sports talk show Other than that I wasn't fucking with WABC It was BLS and then Kiss FM For my music and during Frankie Crocker's run, his first run ended in 1985, I believe. Then he came back in the 90s and had a failed run taking over BLS as they were getting destroyed in the ratings by Kiss FM and Hot 97. And then unfortunately, Frankie Crocker died at the way too young age of 62 in 2000 from pancreatic cancer. Reason I bring up Frankie Crocker is because the song I just played, Moody's Mood, was originally done by a jazz musician named James Moody and then a singer named King Pleasure exhibited this skill that was new, this new vocal uh, skill called vocalese, in which an artist, a singer, would sing over a jazz tune, a jazz instrumental. And it became a major hit. 
And Frankie Crocker would end his program every night. When he went off the air at 6 o'clock or 5.55, before five, 5 minutes before 5, he would play, Dare I Go, Dare I Go, Dare I Go. And I love the end. You can call me if you want. And, and you could, and James, you could play, play your tune if you want to. I'm through. That was a signature of Frankie Crocker. You knew that the show was over when he played that song, and that song stayed on my mind. And it's funny because on the Gimme the Night album, when I heard George Benson's version, I was like, George Benson damn near recreated the same song that King Pleasure did as far as the way he sung it vocally, and it only made sense. Both King Pleasure and George Benson came up in the jazz world. Now, King Pleasure recorded his version in 1952. George Benson recorded his version in 1980. Produced by Quincy Jones, another, Quincy Jones, another legendary jazz musician. And the female lead in Moody's Mood was sung by Patty Austin, which you heard both Simone and J.R., uh, rave about in their voice notes earlier in the podcast. This was a couple years before Patty Austin's massive hit with James Ingram, Baby Come To Me. And in Moody's Mood, you hear the, uh, I I don't know how to describe it, the luscious vocals of Patty Austin, one of the most beautiful voices any female ever had in the history of soul music. And the way George Benson and Patty Austin collaborate on a song together is just pure magic and the way George Benson sings the whole song like James mentioned we'll mention later on in the podcast with George Benson on the version in which he sings over his guitar in seven days with Mary J Blige he does the same thing in Moody's Mood he's doing his version of vocalese and then at the end Damn near sounds exactly like King Pleasure. Okay, James, now you can play if you want to. I'm through. Man, uh, George Benson, another master cover. You notice on this podcast, I've played covers of On Broadway, Love Ballad, Moody's Mood. George Benson was a, was great at doing covers. Just... Phenomenal, right up there with Luther, Casey Haley, um, just great at doing covers. Whitney Houston, a master, master vocalist, and the chemistry he had with Patty Austin in in Patty Austin's uh, discography, she had two great partners, George Benson, because uh, I believe in the '90s they did a song together again, and then of course. She had two massive hits with James Ingram, which I will cover when I do a James Ingram tribute podcast, which looks like will occur in January of 2024, a few months from now. All right. I've talked glowingly about Moody's Mood, Frankie Crocker, growing up listening to radio in the late 70s throughout the 80s. Let's get to the next voice note. Another Tennessee friend of mine. 
Kathy. She's going to talk about the magic of George Benson. And then we're going to play two songs back-to-back by uh, George Benson. Turn Your Love Around and Lady Love Me. And Lady Love Me is my third favorite uh, George Benson song of all time. So we'll talk all about Kathy's voice note and the two songs, Turn Your Love Around and Lady Love Me, on the other side. Hey, Rob. What's up, everybody? Thanks, Rob, for asking me to record on this phenomenal artist, George Benson. Man, a straight jammer, <laughs> you know. Um, I think his impact to jazz and R&B and blues, uh, they aren't discussed enough in bigger circles these days. You know, the real students of music, the real people that appreciate real music and know the work of George Benson and the impact, you know, of course, appreciate him. But I don't I don't feel that he gets the appreciation that he deserves today. And of course, um, we know that he got that, you know, at, at the height of his career, of course, because uh, before recording this, I just did a little little reading up on him because, again, you know, this is a name that you hear all the time, but saw that he has won. 10 Grammys, which is uh, phenomenal within itself. Like, you know, that's that's a great uh, feat for someone uh, that that works uh, in, in music entertainment, you know. But anyway, um, with Mr. Benson, you know, we're talking about hit after hit after hit after hit. And, you know, it, it it goes with all colors of people, don't matter if you white, black, yellow or green. I think that, you know, you can find many different types of people that that loves and appreciates the music of uh, Mr. Benson. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I think I can literally just hit play and listen to him play the guitar. You know, of course, I'm in Tennessee, Memphis specifically, home of the blues. So that's the, the instrument that I tend to to love to listen to, of course, is the guitar. You know, we talk about B.B. Uh, King and, and some of those other folks, you know, just just listening to them, to them do their thing. Uh, but, yeah, you know, the guitar and, you know, when we listen to, to George Benson, um, you know, and he's amazing on it. You know, a song that stands out for me really is the um, I Got a Woman and Some Blues. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, the other hits that he has, uh, Give Me the Night, This Masquerade. Turn your love around. <laughs> Don't want, you know, I'm not a singer, of course, but yeah, man, this guy just has hit after hit. But, you know, I personally, you know, just love to hear him, to hear him play uh, the instruments, you know, very talented artist. And again, thanks, Rob, for recording this because... You know, I don't think that he gets um, some of the appreciation that he should get. So, again, thanks for recording. Uh, can't wait to listen to everyone and his impact, the good songs, like I said, because I know it's going to be hit after hit. All right, everyone. Take care. Peace.
episode bringing great memories great memories bringing back great memories of my childhood early adolescence um thank you kathy thank you kathy for that wonderful tribute to uh george benson in your voice note yes he's won 10 grammys the man has won 10 grammys and yet is not in the rock and roll hall of fame man i am sick and tired of legendary black artists being shunned from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He doesn't even get nominated. The list is endless. Add another list to someone who should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame years ago. He's got 10 Grammys. Massive hits. One of the songs I played was best R&B song that I just played. Uh, Lady Love Me. And I'll talk about that song. That song is going to bring great memories. Turn Your Love Around, which Kathy tried to sing a little bit of before the end of her of her uh, voice note. But Kathy, you're right. The man is 
a phenomenal legend that doesn't get talked about enough. That's what I try to do here on the Legends of Sports and Music, ladies and gentlemen. The OG Rob Silver, the original great Rob Silver, tries to educate, enlighten, and entertain you people about artists that you never hear about. That's what I did with Jeffrey Osborne. Hell, I did it with Joe, and Joe is one of the most underrated artists in the last 30 years. LTD, which was Jeffrey Osborne's band. Um, the Whispers. These groups, they don't get talked about. They don't get talked about. And then, of course, now George Benson. George Benson. And it's funny. It's my father's favorite male soul artist of all time. Because, like I've mentioned many a time, he only fucked with a few soul artists. Uh, Stevie Wonder, George Benson. Uh... Dion Warwick, The Temptations, and Boys to Men. That was it. Other than them five, it was salsa music. It was Tito Puente. It was uh, Machito. It was Johnny Rivera. It was those guys. But when it came to soul music, he loved it. George Benson was, man, George Benson was singing to him because George Benson was singing about the same love George Benson had for his wife that my father had for my mother, his wife. Let's do a parallel between my father and George Benson. George Benson is still married to the same woman, Johnny Lee Benson, that he married in 1965, almost 60 years, 58 years of marriage. George Benson turned 80 this year. That means when he married this woman, the love of his life, Johnny Lee, they were 22 years old. My parents got married a year later at 18. So George Benson was married in 65. My parents was married in 66. Okay. When you hear George sing, sing, singing about a woman, whether it's turn your love around or let me love you one more time. <laughs> Feel your heart be close to my own. Love me, lady. That's him singing about my father's unconditional love for my mother. I talked about on a few podcasts before on this platform about how from the mid-80s to the early 90s, we would hold house parties in my, in my parents' apartment in which I played the music. And my parents would have their friends over from inside our building in the Millbrook Projects, 169 Cypress Avenue, and they would play hearts and they would listen to the slow jams that I would play through the night, the classic slow jams. And one night I played Lady Love Love Me one more time. And my father was like, Man, fuck this game. He got up, picked up my mother, and started dancing and try singing Let Let Me Love You And he wasn't drunk, ladies and gentlemen. He wasn't drunk. He hadn't started drinking yet. But that's how much he loved George Benson. That's how much he loved that song. That's how much he loved my mother. He was doing that little two-step of his, which was better than than my three left feet. (laughs) He he sang that song that night to to my mother. And my mother's like, Silver, Silver, stop, stop, Silver, stop. Because my my father, whenever he started doing that, he started getting frisky. He started grabbing my mother's ass in front of everybody. (laughs) 
But man, um, George Benson. Unlike, now I've I've done podcasts, especially the first Michael Jackson podcast, part one, the uh, Philly International years, and then off the wall. I did that first podcast, and the Lana Richie part one podcast. Both those podcasts, I talked about um, the pitfalls I had growing up as a little boy my family had in the South Bronx, and the trials and tribulations of my parents, the struggle they had in trying to raise us, my father being a two-time felon and an alcoholic and losing jobs and almost losing his children and almost losing his wife, and how they struggled. And how we all struggled as a family. And for more detail, just listen to Michael Jackson Part 1 or Lana Ritchie Part 1, The Commodore Years. And I detail all of that in the Bronx getting burnt down to a ground where in 1975 we moved into the South Bronx uh, apartment. And it was a nice middle class neighborhood. But by 1978 when we are forced out because we can't pay our rent anymore we were the only building left in that two block radius other than the elementary school that I attended until the third grade and the super, the Met supermarket across the street from my building all the other buildings were burnt to the ground um, I talked about the fire that happened in Elder Westchester Avenue in October 1980 in the Lionel Richie podcast and I believe I mentioned it also in the Michael and in the Michael Jackson podcast I talked about how my mother almost got shot in the head just by reading a book in her living room in what was it May of 1980 I mean I I uh I talked about all of that but despite all of that my parents would overcome whatever obstacles were in the way, whether it was his drinking, and then later on his addiction to heroin and his addiction to cocaine, but despite all that, my mother stood by his side, I mean, she left him once for eight days, and um, there will be times he would go months sleeping in the living room, she wouldn't let him in her bedroom despite all that the love never died and the day of his wake, and the way she cried for him over his body over while we were people were there to view the body just showed was a testament to the unconditional love she had for that man. My my father's been dead over twenty three years and she was fifty two when my father died. She hasn't dated anybody ever since. That's how much she loved my father. She never look you couldn't even look at another man. And what she told me was how could I even look at another man Another man can't excite me. Look at what your father did. Look at all the hell we went through. I mean, I, who's going to compare to that? <laughs> A testament of true love. And George Benson captured my parents' true love on all his ba ballads. And even, like I mentioned earlier, in This Masquerade, that captured what was going on between my ex and I last year towards the end of our relationship that song could have also related to my parents if they had ever decided to go their separate ways but uh, there was too much love that my parents had for each other for that to ever happen alright uh, we're gonna play 2020 
George Benson's last uh, hit of the 1980s. I mean, he would come back and he would win more Grammy Awards and the whole nine after this. But 1984-1985 was around the last time George Benson would get significant radio airplay on any of the urban stations in New York and throughout the country. And then from that point on, while he was still recording music, he became more of a of a uh, of a concert singer, um, and he would make his money touring and doing studio sessions. And we'll uh, talk more about 2020 and what happened with George on the other side. Walking out 
2020 would be the last uh, mainstream song that George Benson would have played on urban stations throughout the United States. Um, there was even a music video made that uh, didn't get any play on MTV or Friday Night Videos. I You'd only could see that video on Video Music Box in New York, Ralph McDaniels, or because uh, I'm not even sure if BET was playing videos in 1985. Um, but I know New York City Hot Tracks played that video a lot in 1985. That was the only way I got to see the video. And the video was a cute video. Um, not one of his greatest songs. I'm playing it because it was his last mainstream hit. He would do a couple of more studio albums in which he sung. And then beginning in 1989... And basically for the last 30 years, because he has released an album within the last four, Walking to Running, it's got New Orleans in the title, came out in 2019. George Benson went back to his roots. Um, he basically became a jazz musician making jazz albums, smooth jazz albums. And it was only right because in the jazz community, He's a legend. He helped pioneer smooth jazz along with, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Herb Albert, Chuck Mangione. And then, of course, uh, eventually, Kenny G would take the mantle and become the biggest selling jazz musician and smooth jazz musician of all time. George Benson laid the groundwork for Kenny G. George Benson's career is a career that has been, A, without any type of controversy. You never heard anybody talk about any type of vices he was involved with. You've never heard any controversy. Whatever problems him and Johnny Lee have had, they've kept it in-house. They've been married 58 years, so they're going to die together, all right? Um, professionally... Everyone raves about him. Rod Temperton, as JR mentioned in the book, was was uh, enamored with George Benson. And him and Quincy were trying because George Benson, like JR mentioned, liked to do things himself. He was independent. But when he finally decided to let Rod and Quincy help him with that one great album they did together, Give Me the Night, it was just a flawless masterpiece. And George Benson would would also help young artists or artists on the come up or artists that were already established. He's got Grammy nominated and Grammy award winning songs with Mary J. Blige, Seven Days, which we will hear at the end of the podcast. And he won a Grammy with Jill Scott in 2007. So, George's career has spanned it now. Over 70 years. That's longer than the Whispers and the Isley Brothers. That's outstanding. He's been recording music since he was 9 years old. He's 80 years old. Over 70 years in show business. And my understanding, because I've never seen him live, is that on stage with that guitar, 
and his vocals, he's still as amazing at, at 80 as he was at 25, 30, 35, 40 years old. Uh, he set a standard that today musicians like a Robert Glasper try and um, emulate. And that's saying a lot. Um, George Benson is a generational talent. George Benson is one of the most talented musicians in the history of music. George Benson is one of the great, greatest jazz musicians ever to be a vocalist. Top five, dead or alive. George Benson, there should be a statue of George Benson not only in Pittsburgh, but wherever there's a jazz muse museum in the United States or abroad. He's that influential, he's that iconic, he's that legendary, and he belongs in the Rock and Hall of Fame off his 10 Grammys and off hit after hit after hit. You heard the hits I've played here, The Greatest Love of All, This Masquerade, Breezing, uh, Love Times Love, Give Me the Night, On his live version of On Broadway, um, the way he played guitar on Seven Days, which we're going to end the podcast with. We're going to replay the voice note James gave me for the Mary J. Blige Share My World tribute podcast. We're going to replay that and the version of the song in which George Benson sings over his guitar solo at the end of Seven Days. And they did a phenomenal job at the American Music Awards in 1998-99, around that time. I forget... I forget my mind is slipping a little bit. I do have that performance on v on VHS. I taped it off of television that night. Mary didn't have to bring George Benson on stage with her to do uh, Seven. They could have just played the, the instrumental in the background. She could have sang over it. No, she invited George to come and perform. Because legends recognize legends. I had a wonderful time reminiscing about my childhood talking about George Benson music because as you people could see he played a heavy part of my childhood and my early adolescence um, a man that I've idolized since I was eight years old when I first heard Breezing in 1976 a man who we should all try and emulate his life and try to live up to the greatness if you Wherever, it doesn't have to be being a musician. If you're a school teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're a fireman, if you're a police officer, if you're a construction worker, if you're a, a, a courier, if you're a cab driver, you should try and match his work ethic and his success in your field. Because George Benson was one of the greatest of all time, whether it was singing jazz, whether it was playing his guitar as a jazz musician whether it was singing soul music, R&B music whether it was doing background music for other artists, he gave it 100% time in and time out and it was my pleasure to give that man his flowers on the Legends of Sports and Music alright we're going to replay James's Mary J. Blige, Seven Days Voice Note, because he talks, he talks phenomenally and glowingly about George Benson. And then we'll end the podcast with the version he sings in 
Seven Days, Mary J. Blige, featuring the legendary George, George Benson. The legendary Mary J. Blige and the legendary George Benson. Next week, we'll, we will be back. Now, this week, I talked about my father's favorite soul artist and George Benson. Next week, we will talk about my mother's favorite soul artist in the legend, the iconic, the iconic, no words can describe the greatness of this woman, the queen herself, Gladys Knight. So until next week, when we talk Gladys Knight, I want everybody out, out there to sit back, enjoy the rest of the program, continue to be blessed and be a blessing, and I will talk to you next week. All right. So share my world. Um, this was a very, very hard uh, voice note to come up with. I mean, there's this album is just amazing. And uh, shout out to the guy Rob Silver for uh, allowing us to dive deep into really one of the greatest albums that Mary J has had. And for me personally, um, my most favorite. Um, this one was tough. Had a lot to go through, had a lot to listen to, and of course, I'm just happy we get to discuss music in an intimate setting. And shout out to all the listeners of the Legends of Sports and Music podcast. It's your boy James with Detroit, and let's go ahead and get right into it. So, here for me with this particular album, there's so many great tracks on there. Um, of course, Love is All We Need, Everything, which is one of my favorites because, of course, it's got the classic uh, Jam and Lewis uh, melodic production behind it that follows the lyrics, you know. Um, you got "Missing You" with the great baby, with the great baby face. Um, I mean, it's just so many that you that you have there. I mean, of course, you know, "Get to Know You Better" is there as well. "Not Gonna Cry." Oh man, hit after hit after hit after hit after hit right on this album. But really, I'm gonna zero in on one track that I found. Um, to maybe get blown over a little bit. However, it's actually melodically and musically um, one of my favorites off the entire album. And that's Seven Days featuring, you know, the god of the hollow body, clean sounding jazz guitar, George Benson. Okay. So Malik Pendleton is the one, Pen, sorry, Malik, I think it was Pendleton. I might, might have that wrong. Um, but Malik, he actually produced uh, this particular track and was the writer and production behind it. And if I recall, I think that he that this was the only track that he actually um, did on this particular album. And the thing about Seven Days is that, to me, what it invokes is this low energy, low energy, but bluesy, jazzy, sexy, and a really um, danceable song, right? This is the type of song where, you know, you pressed up against your lady, y'all dancing slow, and it's just a really intimate and uh, sexy song, but it gives this kind of bounce to it that makes it really enjoyable. It has this kind of um, swaying feel to it as you're listening to the music, which is why I say it makes it very danceable, but the song itself is is really remarkable when you think about the instrumentation. So as far as the musicality is concerned, let's start off with the first like 20 seconds of the song where you have this lovely acoustic guitar that's coming in. You have the actual, um, it's almost like a flute, but it could be a woodwind instrument up in a higher octave, but the flute residing in the background and these really cool like um, ambient 
like like almost island kind of ambient sounds in the background. I mean, it, it's very whimsical, but it's very lovely and very elegant at the same time. And then when Mary actually comes in, you have this very um, marching rhythmic kind of hi-hat with the bass and the keys itself that lends itself to being really um, matching because we all know Mary J. Blige has a, a deeper she can sing her ass off, of course, but she has this deeper tonality that's present there. You know, not as deep as like a Tony Braxton or anything like that, but she has just a merry voice, right? So when she comes in, you know, to that particular first verse, it sets the tone and lets you know that this is coming from a various, a very serious aspect when the lyrics are starting. And I won't recite all the lyrics, but the, the gist of the song is that you have a man and a woman who are friends or possibly even best friends and they're hanging out, they're enjoying each other's time and they're, you know, as they're spending more and more time together, they start to actually develop, friend, uh, develop more than a friendship. And then it's at this really um, kind of tenacious, very, very tense space because now you have two people that love being friends that love each other's company but want more but they don't want to ruin the actual friendship which is where i think the seriousness of the song really plays into the tonal side of the music although it's bluesy it's a little dark but it's also still sexy all at the same time you know of course and then we get to that iconic chorus that is present when she's going through the days of the week now, this is pretty cool here because every other day she mentions, I believe it's on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, there's kind of this, this um, almost like an orchestra hit that happens with the strings and the orchestra accompaniment that they bring in. So it goes, it goes like when she says mun, it goes orchestra hit, day, orchestra hit. So it's like mun, boop, day, boop, like that right there is evoking emotion and bringing tension in to the actual listener when they listen to the song and it's very quite unique because tuesday you know is really chilled and when she go to wins and do the hit again wins boop day boop like it's hit on beat and very regimented but it brings out that tension although it sounds kind of robotic when you listen to it it actually just kind of meshes and works and then by the time she wraps up with all the days of the week and she says, now, what are we going to do? Like it, it brings itself up and then it drops back down right into the music for the next verse. And that right there is just, you know, classic Mary's soul to just resolve it. And it's very pleasing to the ear because it brings it right back home. And I guess, you know, one thing I might've forgot to mention at the beginning was that, you know, I'm speaking about the official, um, music version music video version or the actual um like uh radio edit that was on the album like the physical vinyl right because there's a slight differences from like the version that's on like the entire share my world album than the actual uh single track or vinyl cut that they actually had that they used for the music video which has the extra orchestra accompaniments what also has george benson's um solo at the end he's actually um you know, also singing with his guitar, kind of mouthing notes in, in, in the normal George Benson way, which I think 
is just amazing, right? That's what makes George Benson. I mean, his guitar sings, right? The, the tonality he has with the hollow body guitars, the jazz guitars, and the the crazy uh, the crazy scale use, the chord use, and the overall jazz progressions that he uses on top of this very bluesy R and B kind of track that's that's very sensual is is quite amazing. So. Um, George Benson himself, I can talk for hours about that guy, you know, um, so you, you guys know me with guitars and guitar players in general. Um, I'm going to leave it at that, but I mean, amazing song, amazing visual. Um, of course, Mary J. Bodge looking as amazing as ever while she's singing. You can see, I mean, th that's the good thing about Mary J. When she performs her songs and her music videos and on stage and of her live, like you can just see the emotion coming out of her, which is why I always love watching um, any visuals that she have pertaining to any of her albums. So that's all I got for today. Uh, I appreciate you for uh, tapping me on the shoulder, Rob. It's been a while and I look forward to hearing what everybody's got to say about this incredible album. Talk to you next time. Your boy James is out. Peace. Where are we going?